You know, we're going to be looking at three questions that all center around redemption benefits. Questions 36, 37, and 38 of the Shorter Catechism. And, you know, what these questions do is open us up to what, you know, it's almost like show them what he's won, like look behind the door, like what have we actually received? And we, we looked at the, the clear biblical truth of justification, sanctification, adoption, those are that is what's in all encompassed in redemption but these what are the benefits that flow from that are there any benefits that flow from that and so often what we what we do in the modern era is we look right to the benefits without building these other 35 elements that we've looked at to where you're now like i'd be happy just with justification I'd be happy with, just with adoption, just with redemption. I get sanctification on top of that. I mean, I, I'll take any of that. But now the, the men who wrote it, they were called divines, not because that they were somehow divine, but they, we still give out in seminaries masters of divinity. Not that you could ever master divinity, but that's since the realm of study. So they called the men who wrote it, these Westminster divines, and they were pastors. So they have a pastoral heart for people. How, how are they going to know and understand and we're real people living in the real world. So then how do we, how do we go through the, the, uh, the feelings of living this life? Like Paul was talking about with the seen and the unseen in 2 Corinthians 4. So these questions are directed towards that. So question 36 starts out with this. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Now, if you were just sitting down and somebody was walking with you through the 35 questions we've looked at so far, you'd already think, you, if you had believed, you've heard that whole gospel message and you know who that God is who's existed before all things and you, un, you understand that this is his word, you'd already think, I've already hit the jackpot. I've already hit the lottery. But then it comes after that, what are the benefits that flow from it? And you've gone through this question and answer thing, and there's no question that has no answer. It won't be, well, there are no benefits. It will, it'll explain what they are. You'd go, what? There are benefits? What, what, what flows from these things? And the answer is this. The benefits, which in this life, so we're going to look at this life, then we're going to look at death, and then we're going to look at resurrection. But in this life, these benefits do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. There are benefits that come from this. The first one that these men, when we look back and we think of Puritans and we think of you know, people back in the 1600s that they're harsh and that a Puritan is somebody who is just mad that somebody somewhere is having fun or enjoying themselves. That's what we think of when we think of a Puritan. The first thing they say, the benefit that flows from Redemption is assurance of God's love and peace in your conscience. That's the first benefit that you get in this life, not later, but now. And they, they look at verses like Romans 5, 1 through 5, which starts out with, Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. That's not talking about, talking about the peace of God. That's a different element. That's talking about how we walk every day. But I have peace with God. 
God and I are no longer and forever at war. We are at peace, completely at peace. That flows from justification. Because through him, verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How? Why? Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And then here's verse 5, the other end of this, this first element. And hope does not put us in shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I love the imagery of being poured into our hearts, like your heart's a receptacle, and God's love is poured in and fills it up. That that benefit comes to us from justification, that we have assurance of love and peace of conscience. I'm at peace with God. In my mind, I can know God is no longer angry with me. There is no longer animosity between us. Even though I fall short, even though I fail, verse 1 says, I have peace with God. And then not only that, but I go through all these sufferings, but it just produces endurance and character and then hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because our hope is not like, man, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. It's a surety because God's love's been poured into our hearts. That can't be undone. We'll see that here in a minute. But it's the grace of God to grant us peace. And you think about it, what kind of good father could you describe who didn't make his love clear for his children? You would say that that's a faltering of a father, right? He could still be good, but would you call him all the way good if his kids were like, I don't, I don't really know if he loves me or not. I, mean, I, I don't know. But Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, you don't have to put this up, Barbara, you can just write down Matthew 7, 7 through 11, where Jesus says, if you guys know how to give your kids good gifts, they ask for bread, and you give them bread, you don't give them a rock. They ask for fish, you don't give them a snake. If you know how to do that, then just imagine what your heavenly father knows how to do. What he knows how, how he knows how to take care of his children. And what could be greater gifts than this first one, assurance of of, uh, of peace, assurance of his love and peace of conscience. But it's, it doesn't end there. The benefits keep flowing in this life that we can have. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the second element that they wrote down in the, in the catechism, is that we have joy in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever stopped to consider that ours is a religion of joy. Now, real joy, not circumstantial happiness, but real joy. Now, think of when have you ever talked to, if you have, a Muslim that seemed joyful? They have no idea if they're at peace with God. They don't. So they don't have any joy. They have duty, and they have a concept of honor, but none of joy because they don't know the first element that we got, of any peace with God. Same for Hinduism. You, you'd never know. And, and, and that's, Hinduism is built on a caste system, right? That's what fuels the, the oppression in India, is that you're born this poor because in a previous life you were wicked. And this is the karma being enacted to you, so you deserve what you get here. That's why you're poor, and that's why you've got to keep you poor, because you deserve this. And I get to stay wealthy because I was awesome in a previous life. That's obviously why I've come back as a wealthy person. And therefore, we need to keep me wealthy. Joyless religion. 
But the Christian religion is not. Romans 14, 17, that we have joy. The kingdom of God is a matter of joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. That's a benefit that we have now. But it doesn't end there. We have an increase of grace. Proverbs 4, 18 says it like this. Uh, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Now, you read that, and this Proverbs, if you read it out of, con- out of the context that we're in right now about redemption, you'd go, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds really pretty. That's something you'd put on, like, your spring decor, like, as the sun's coming up now, and things are getting brighter, days are getting longer. But really, the path of the righteous, who is righteous? No, not one, right? But we talked about what does justification mean? God declares you righteous. So the path of the righteous, the life of the righteous, that is only by faith, what happens? It's like the light of day. It just gets brighter and brighter, warmer and warmer, ever-increasing grace. That's what happens to the, to the right. And you have that now. That what we're supposed to see, the Christian's life is intended to get better and more evident of grace. Better is not in the sense like your cancer goes away and you get a Camaro and you get, I mean, that's not what we're talking about better, but more and more like Christ. I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of God's grace in my life. I mean, you can look back, if you had written down your prayer requests of what you were praying for when you were 18 versus what you were praying for when you were 25 versus what you're praying for now, and you would see, wow, I, I feel like now my, my circle gets smaller and smaller what I pray for because I realize more and more of what I have, more and more of what I've been given. And it's not in, that God's grace has necessarily increased. It's just I've become more aware of the overabundance of his grace. It's, it's almost like my eyes are opening up bigger and bigger as time goes on. And that's a blessing that we have now, a benefit that flows to us now. And the last one is perseverance till the end. And we just saying, he will hold me fast. What's that about? Why do I need to be held fast? Because this life is insane. And, and one of our fears is, what if I don't make it to the end? Meaning, in, what if I don't make it to the end in Christ? And then I, I get to the judgment day, I get to the standing before the throne of God, and I I didn't make it. I started out great, but I didn't make it. One of the blessings, the benefits that you can know now is that you will be preserved to the end. You will persevere to the end. First Peter 1.5 says, Who by God's power, talking about believers, are being guarded. Are being guarded. Is that an active verb or a passive verb, English people? Active, a- active verb. But who is it? who's the one acting? Not God, God, not me. God is. I am being guarded. I, he is doing the guarding, not me. I am being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So when that salvation comes in its fullness in the last time, I'm being guarded for that day. I'm being preserved for that day. And I can know that now. I can have that benefit now. Other good verses to put along with this point. We won't look at them just for the sake of time. But Philippians 1, 6 and Jude 24 through 25, which is where the lyrics for He Will Hold Me Fast come from. It comes from Jude 24 and 25. So that's the, the life. And you think about it, we would have taken anything that we had, but we get benefits right here and right now. But we know we're moving towards death. We know that death is batting a thousand. That it always wins. The death rate is still 100%. We get that. So what about that? If I have this blessing now, but what if there's this horror at death? 
the day that we're all headed for, and many of us have probably in this room have escaped a couple of times already. What about that day? Well, question 37 says that. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? So that's what we had at life. What do we, what do we have at death? And the answer goes like this. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness, do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies still being united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. So let's look at these. At our death, it says in the first element, we're made perfect in holiness. Now Hebrews 12, 23 is the verse cited for that. And the King James says perfect in holiness. But ESV says it like this. And to the assembly of the firstborn, so assembling to Jesus being the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, that's our souls, of the righteous made perfect. So our souls upon that death, because when we're, we're enrolled, when we come enrolled in heaven, made perfect in righteousness, that the, at, at that moment of death, the benefit that flows to us is perfect in holiness. We, we, we are the, the, those who declared righteous and then will be actually righteous. Romans 8.30, don't, don't put it up there, Barbara, but y'all, you can write this down, that it talks about the progression of being um, chosen or, or predestined, called, justified, sanctified, and then glorified. And it has glorified in the past tense, even though that won't happen until this moment. But Paul can refer to it in the past tense because it's as good as done. You will be glorified. You're, you, you will have... Your, your sin, the, the flesh that we wage war against is going to be gone, totally removed. So made perfect in holiness at our death, that's going to happen. I mean, that's why you can have, when, and I've been at several deathbeds and of saints who are, they're not worried. That they're looking forward to it. And not, not just because the pain's going to go away, but because sin is going to go away. That's when I, when I talk to r- mature older believers, older pastors even than me, and they talk about heaven, they're like, the most thing I'm looking forward to is the absence of sin. Mine and, and, and then the rest of the world, like the, 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 what, the sin that is bombarding me, but my own sin. And that's, that's one of the benefits that we know will happen at death because of our redemption. It'll all be gone. And then it says this, immediately pass into glory. Now, that, is that debated? I mean, why, why put that out there that we got we to gotta make sure we know you're going to immediately pass into glory? Well, just down the street, we have a Seventh-day Adventist congregation, and they do not believe this, that you immediately pass into glory. They believe that you have soul sleep. So when you die, you just fall asleep. Then you're just there, just kind of non-existent kind of for a little while, and then you'll be woken up on the, uh, the second advent. That, that, that's going to happen. But then you have other people who believe, and this is, all, this is all across the spectrum of faiths, that, that there is no, you, you don't immediately pass into glory, you're just annihilated, you just cease to exist. And that's it. That's, that's what heaven really is, is that you just are just gone. You're not annihilated, that you just, there's no more being. But what we have here is immediately passing the glory. Now, that sounds better. That sounds better than those other two options. But is it biblical? <laughs> That's the thing that we got to make sure that we note. And 2 Corinthians 5 is a great place to look at. 
So we'll look at 2 Corinthians 5, 1, and then we'll skip down to 6, 8. So you don't have to put them all up there in a row, Barbara. But look at 5, 1. Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So our tent, this body that we have right now, really this life, we're not talking about this hatred of the body. We'll get to that here in a minute. Um, when it's destroyed, when it's over, we have a building, not a tent, a, a permanent building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay, well, that sounds like when we die, there's some kind of eternal existence. Well, five, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8 explains this. Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So like, we get that. When we're here, we're away from the presence of the Lord, right? Like Paul says, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Gain because I'm, I'm with him. I'm living like Christ here. So we're away from the Lord physically, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, verse 8, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord immediately. Philippians 1.23 says similar. Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. He, is, he believes and says right there in writing, to depart now is to immediately be with Christ. There's no in-between, there's no waiting period, there's no limbo, which is a, 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 or purgatory, which is a Catholic um, manifestation, invention, which would be another reason why immediately passing the glory is important. They're writing this against the Roman Catholic Church, and they got to have a purgatory because, remember, we talked about justification. They got it backwards. In order to be justified, you have to live a sanctified life, and then you get justified. We say justification comes first, and sanctification is, and then it's the process. But if you die and you're not fully all the way up to being justified, well, you, you were a pretty good Catholic, so you can't go to hell, but you can't go to heaven. You're not all the way there. You need somewhere for your rest of your sins to be purged from you purgatory so you got to go there for the sins to be purged out of you and if you're real bad then it might take a couple million years but if you were okay then maybe just a hundred and if you're a saint you go straight there and that's why you can get extra grace so you pray to the saints they have leftover grace that they didn't need and they'll put some in your bucket if you pray to them this is how convoluted it gets if you want to read a book on it i'll show you a book it's real easy rc sproul wrote it but anyway, so that's why it's to be, to depart, to depart here is to be with Christ for any Christian. In Luke 24, 43, this is Jesus saying it to the thief on the cross. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That should end the debate right there, right? How much did that man have to repent of? How much sanctification did he even endure or go through? None. He believes at the moment of death, day, instantly, right now, this hour, you will be with me in paradise. No waiting, no soul sleep, no purgatory, instantly right there. So that benefit we have at death. It's important for us to know. We take it for granted, but it gets attacked in certain ways, and we need to be able to defend it. The next point uh, is our bodies are united to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Our body will be united to Christ. Do you, have you heard this? And we've said it before, and, and, and we know what we mean, but what we can do if we're not careful when we say, I can't wait to get rid of this body, 
we talk like we're a soul trapped in a body. What, what we do is we kind of divide what God doesn't. He doesn't divide us soul and body. And our body's not evil and our spirit is good. That's Gnosticism. That, that's what First John has written against and Colossians has written against, that physical things are bad, spiritual things are good. We're going to have bodies in glory. We're going to get to that here uh, in the next point. But, uh, I mean, I had a seminary professor who really drilled that home. That we, we, if we scorn these bodies, then we're saying that God's sovereignty in creating me was, it was off. And this was, a, this was a misfire. But then when we look at the life of Christ, when he resurrected, what did he have? He had a body, a real body that they could see and understand. That's Jesus. So our bodies are united to Christ, but until the resurrection, they rest in the grave. That's the last point, the benefit that we get upon death, meaning that it's resting in the grave, but only until the resurrection. So some key verses for that. Job 19, 26 to 27. Job says, After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I I shall see God. If my skin's been destroyed, meaning decayed all the way, then how can I see God in my flesh? Something's got to happen to my body. It's got to be resurrected. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. So Job believes that. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. 1 Corinthians 15, when you're looking for the resurrection verses in the Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where it talks about it constantly. It talks about Christ's resurrection and ours. So here's this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Sown, meaning gone into the ground, is perishable. Our bodies was raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Not a spiritual spirit, a spiritual body. And then 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we'll see him as he is. We shall be like Jesus. And what was Jesus like when he resurrected? He had a body. You could see it, touch, the, touch it. And then he ate food, remember, on the seashore. He makes a breakfast at the end of John 21. He ate, he had a physical, real body. And if we're, he's the firstborn from us, he's the older brother going through the same thing that we have, we're gonna go through. The same is gonna be true for us. That's where the term rest in peace comes from. It's not just like a casual kind of like, oh, yeah, like they're just resting there. No, it comes from the shorter catechism, right? They're resting in the grave, meaning you're temporarily there. Nobody's permanently asleep, right? When Paul uses the term sleep for death, he's saying, like, I want you to remember, think about this is not permanent. So you're resting in peace, you're there, and then you're going to raise again. You're just resting. You're not there permanently. <laughs> Nobody sleeps forever. Well, I mean, some people might sleep forever, sleep for a long time. Not any of my kids, though. If you want to jump in, we'll, we'll send them to your house. <laughs> this body, though, is, uh, is, is the real you. Sometimes we think, like, this isn't the real me. No, it is. It is the real you. It's marred by sin, but God didn't make a mistake by making you the height that you were, the, the gender that you were, the eye color that you were. That was on purpose. Don't we tell our children for, in, in Psalm 139 that you were you were made and formed intentionally in your mother's womb you're fearfully and wonderfully made let's hold to that 
We really are. It's just going to be, we're just marred by sin. We're, we're defaced, but not erased. So then the last, the last question is, well, now you got me all thinking about this resurrection. What's going to happen then? So we have a life, we have a death, but we also have a bodily resurrection. What benefits, question 38 says, do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. We, we just read 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. And we shall be raised up in glory. That there will be a resurrection of our bodies. And those who were burned at the stake, those who were just died a normal death and have been you know, in the, resting in the grave for 400 years, that's going to reassemble all of those particles from all over the ends of the earth and raise those bodies up in glory. What's true of Jesus is true of us. He has a glorified body. We will have a glorified body. Perfect, but recognizable. You know, you know, they knew who Jesus was. He looked like Jesus. The same, but better. And, and at that moment, we will be openly acknowledged and acquitted, it says. Have you, have you ever been somewhere, or maybe this didn't happen as much as it did, maybe when, like, when we were teenagers and things like that, where you're just, am I going to be like spoken for in this social setting? Am I, or are they just going to be like, oh, and you're oh, like, you feel like I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. Like, oh, or I'm in the National Honor Society, but I'm barely making bees. What am I doing here? Why did my mom make me do this? Like you, nobody's going to speak for me. But this says that the benefit that you will get at the resurrection is that Christ will openly acknowledge you. Openly acknowledge you. Matthew 10, 32. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Everyone who does that. My Father. Yeah, I know them. I know her. I know him by name. They're my sheep. I call them by name. She's with me. He's with me. I mean, to have that kind of acknowledgement, validation, cover, mediation, that's what we're going to have. And also acquitted. It's one thing to be acknowledged, like, yep, I know him, and he's guilty. <laughs> like, and drill that guy to the wall. Like, I know that he did this and this and this and this. But you're going to be acknowledged and acquitted on Judgment Day. When we die, we might die before that day. When it comes around, you're going to be acquitted on that day. Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, speaking of Christ. Or no, the one who conquers, meaning speaking of believers, will be clothed, in the, clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father. Openly acquitted. Made perfectly blessed in full enjoyment of God is the second point. First John 3, 2, we already read it, but he says, beloved, we are God's children now, so that's happening now, and we will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as he is. Full enjoyment of full blessedness, the few moments when that kind of glory is shown and it's not a horrifying moment, like Moses up on Mount Sinai or when he sees God's back walk by, Peter and James and John at the Mount of Transfiguration, 
They are overwhelmed with the joy, the fullness of it. Peter's like, I can't stop talking. Like, you want me to make tents for you guys? I'll make some tents. We should, it is good that we are here. That's what it says in Matthew 16. You're like, just be quiet and enjoy it. James and John get it. They're like, whoa, this is amazing. Peter's like, what about some lean-tos? You guys want those? I'll build them. The full enjoyment. We'll see him as he is. That happens upon our resurrection, and it will be to all eternity. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18. Then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the last little bit, but I want us to think about eternity before we're done. We say eternity, we don't, I mean, we're in, we live in the era of exaggeration. Do we have any superlative words left that we can use? Everything is awesome. There's a song called Everything is Awesome. We sing it at my house. It's a Lego movie. Uh, We have, I mean, everything is the worst, right? Not just bad. And if something's good, that means it stinks. We we live in the era of exaggeration. So when something's taking a long time, my kids watch this show, Bluey, on on, uh, Disney Plus, and those kids always say, it's taking ages. It's on our kids say, it takes ages. Or like, man, I was sitting in the waiting room for an eternity. So we don't really know what those words mean. The most helpful picture that I could think of for eternity is this. If you've ever been to the, to the beach on the seashore and, and the sand, you always bring home at least 40 gallons of sand when you come home. And when you think about each granule of sand, if you picture that, you know, when you're finding them just, you know, tucked in the, you know, the laces of your shoes when you're coming home, and you see that little granule of sand that's there and you can feel it, think of that granule of sand as 100,000 years. And then you just scoop up in a cup, normal-sized drinking glass, a scoop of sand. And each little granule is 100,000 years. I mean, how many years do you have in that cup? And then you think, well, let's, let's take all of the Texas coastline. Each granule of sand is 100,000 years. And then you think, okay, let's stretch it all the way out to the whole Gulf Coast, tip of Florida. Each granule of sand. 100,000 years. Then you wrap it around all of North America's beaches. And that's when it starts really becoming like, I, I can't imagine it. But that's what I'm promised with the blessedness, with the nearness, with seeing him as he is. I mean, it just, these conclusions are unbelievable. These benefits are unbelievable. So we would do well to dwell on them more. Amen? We don't think about it too enough. We would do well to dwell on them more. Greg, let's sing.